there is so much out there to get mad about. Social injustices, class warfare, continued colonization, the act of destruction of our planet by those focused on profits and not people. We can find it overwhelming at times. The good news is there are equally as many, if not more, stories of people coming together and rising up against the forces at play. So the creators of Blueprints of Disruption have added a new weekly segment, Ravel Rants, where we will unpack the stories that have us most riled up, share calls to action, and most importantly, celebrate resistance. Someone tweeted out today, has the Canadian media gone into some sort of meltdown mode? And I totally was feeling that. This last week has just been particularly enraging. Like, I know we've talked in the last, since October 7th, we have talked many, many times before that, well before that, our frustrations with mainstream media and forced narratives and manufactured consent. But like this last week has been something else. So there's a few cases that particularly demonstrate the absurdity, maybe the desperation that's on display in order to justify what we're seeing in Gaza. Because in the end, all of the arguments that happen, I feel they're all part of that justification. And we're going to get into that as we go through this week's rant. But yeah, there's a few figures within the Canadian media and just the political scene in general that have particularly drawn my ire. And I'm going to start with the most ridiculous because it really pissed me off. And even like my family doesn't often hear about my Twitter interactions. But when Warren Kinsella came out, uh, this is a former advisor to Jean Chrétien, a liberal advisor. He thinks he's something, something else. He tweets out and writes a column to go along with it that says anybody at the at the pro-Palestinian rally that particular weekend should either be deported if they weren't citizens of Canada or arrested. We're talking about tens of thousands of people in city centers and even smaller towns like across Canada. And that's the literal definition of fucking fascism, because that isn't even like common opinion. Right. We know three out of four Canadians actually don't even agree with the Israeli apartheid. So this is strictly the opinion of the very, very, very top. Right now, it looks like Justin Trudeau and his closest friends, to be honest. But and if you don't agree with them, if you bother to stand out in the street and speak against them, you have media pundits and political advisors calling for mass arrests. And this isn't to be dis- this isn't to dismiss these folks like when I make fun of who he really is and the fact that Ben Mulroney backed him up. It, it's happening. An organizer in Calgary has been arrested by police and charged with disrupting the peace for leading a chant, the chant that we talk about many, many times now, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And not just disrupting the peace, they've added a, ho- a hate motivation charge. So, like, these kinds of narratives that these folks are printing out there are are happening. They're being realized. 
and that is fucking fascism. But, you know, on the on the good side of that story, even after Warren Kinsella deleted his tweet, obviously he was feeling the heat on that one because it was just unquestionably awful. So xenophobic as well to go back to the deport them, right? They don't agree with Canadian values, deport them. And it's some white man in an office deciding what Canadian values are. But Ben Mulroney, for folks that don't know, you know, this is Brian Mulroney's son, part of the Canadian empire of brown envelopes stuffed with cash from capitalists. He doubles down on this shit over and over again to the point where he's lost his ambassadorship with the CNIB, the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. So, you know, cancel culture strikes again. But this stuff just reverberates. Like you have prominent, I say that, e-news e talk, <laughs> fame, but semi-prominent people openly calling for fascist solutions to dissent. And yeah, it's, it's that and what we're seeing from a lot of other groups is just creating this atmosphere where it's impossible to talk about this constructively without having to deflect all of these ridiculous claims on top of it, right? And these sidetrack issues that really, I think, just serve to remove Palestinian voices from the conversation, right? To like center anything else but what's happening to the people in Gaza, Right. Here's the good news is I think that that is a sign that they're they're they've lost control of the narrative fully. Right. They're going into these fascist tactics for a reason, because they can see, you know, like how many people showed up in Toronto this weekend? I, I don't even know what the, the number no is. No one can all, give us uh, an accurate number. Ever. No one can give a shit ton of people is That's what it accurate. was. Yeah. You know. I'm I'm seeing and you know I'm overhearing conversations as I walk through the streets where I'm hearing people talk about how oh like they didn't know anything about this issue and they've gone and they've read and they're concerned about this and they're concerned they're like oh but like Israel's clearly the one with all the power here so they're like you know this oppression of the Palestinians that that can't be right what's going on literal conversations I'm hearing on streetcars you know like I'm seeing Palestinian pins everywhere I'm seeing like in my day-to-day -day walking and I mean that's my anecdotal experience and I, I I know that that's what that like that anecdotal is what anecdotal is but my point being like you're seeing on mass the narrative shift away from from what it was in the first few weeks, from what the the major sources of information have been trying, the narrative that they've been trying to craft, and they've been left with nothing but to try these fascist tactics to try and regain it. Oh, we're just not going to let you say this. We're going to start arresting people. We're going to strike fear in you. Well, I want to make you feel a little better. It's not just anecdotal. That might be your anecdote from the week, you know, what you've heard, but... Toronto wasn't an isolated situation, right? Like the prime minister of England told them, don't you dare use arms to stay, Remembrance Day, to protest. Don't you dare come to our streets on Veterans Day. And surely almost a million people did. So just like we're trying to figure out if that was the largest protest Toronto's ever seen on November 12th, November 11th saw something unimaginable in London 
again, we've said it on the show, this is repeated in many, many, many cities. Like I spent, I felt like all day yesterday just retweeting people from different cities with around Canada and their shots of how big the crowd was. Even I was in Barrie and I'd say that there was about 100 people there. And this started, the first time I went to Barrie for this, it was like 12. And he, uh, there was more than 12 flags this time. And it it's not just anecdotal. More people are learning about the occupation and apartheid. More people are understanding what Zionism is and the actual goals of Israel. These conversations are happening, but just not in the most prominent spaces. But it doesn't matter. They're still taking foot. And, and I'm going to center on a word there, apartheid, because I had a recent um, realization, I guess, that, that people aren't as familiar with the concept of apartheid as, as I believed they would be um it happened several times where you know I, i've been discussing apartheid and someone's like what's apartheid or you know like people were asking like what what does that mean what is that word and you know when you explain it to people they're like oh that's bad because i think that like based on like you know like the things that we've been taught and the, you know like you know you know slavery bad and all these things and like you know people people look at apartheid and and you know most people get it oh that's not the world that we want to build and it's part of the reason why they've made such an effort to to not have that be part of the narrative oh yeah because i asked you when you told me this i was do they not teach apartheid in school and i'm so old it's been so long since i've been in school and my my family taught me about south african apartheid and Santiago, we're like, no, and I'm like, of course not. We can't be showing Canadian children the model, right? Like, because they're going to draw too many parallels between our history and apartheid. And even when we had uh, Chris Ramsroops on Justice for Migrant Workers, I mean, he was able to make the very strong argument that what what those folks are experiencing is a form of apartheid. So, but I would love to see, and I should, we could look it up now, but I probably won't. Um, <laughs> The trends of terms. So how often are people now looking up apartheid versus what they were doing 40 days ago? Israeli occupation, like certain phrases that we needed in the narrative a long time ago are catching fire now. And there's no putting this back in the box. We can talk about people having short term memory loss when it comes to politics but this is something else. This is another one of those global collective traumas that we've experienced because we've watched what's happening firsthand to the people of Palestine. And so there's no erasing those images from people's minds ever again. You can then repackage it afterwards if that's possible. I just don't think you'll have the political capital to do that anywhere. But even if you do try, it, this is something else. This, is, this isn't something you could rewrite now. Um, thanks to the reach of social media and whatnot. But I want to go back into that desperation that we're seeing, right? The stuff that really kind of got me pissed off this week centered on what you see in social media, and that has a huge impact. And in particular, CJA, that is the Center for Israeli and Jewish Affairs. They sent out two really awful tweets that had the fingerprints of actually being manipulated and surely blatantly, I can say with confidence, were completely misrepresented 
with purpose, with malice. So the first one, I'm sure we've all seen the footage of protesters confronting one another at Concordia University, fully showing everyone's face, tried to dox her, saying she said one word. Other people say she said another word. I don't, I can't repeat either of the words on here, but there's no attempt to like verify. It's, it's just immediately sent out with the most sensationalist purposes. And we've seen that they've taken down that tweet after considerable heat and pushback. But I think the worst one was just so obvious, so reeked of desperation and manipulation and completely designed to stoke fear into the Jewish community that they claim to represent. They took a video of protesters outside of an Ontario high school that were clearly chanting a chant we've all heard at every rally in the last 30 days, Trudeau, Trudeau, you can't hide, we'll charge you with genocide. And they put it out there and said, and put the caption as the students, as though the students were saying, Judah, Judah, you can't hide, we will charge you with genocide. And I can't verify this, but to my ear, it sounded like it was even sped up the audio. And even with that sped up or, you know, manipulated sound, it was still clear to me what they were saying. And again, they take this tweet down, but only after all, like these sensationalist claims that we've seen around war, which, you know, this war, or we can't call this war, around this conflict, like all conflicts, it goes out there. There's no putting it back in the box again. Even the retractions come so quietly, like in this case, they just deleted the tweet. There was no acknowledgement that they completely manipulated the situation. And so you go from students actually targeting a liberal prime minister, a valid target of a chant, a person you could actually charge with war crimes, to making it look like a mob of students hunting down Jews. Like that is a huge difference. And it's this framing of all of these rallies as being against Jewish people that's that's inciting so much fear in the Jewish community. So I do not deny when the Jesse's Browns out there say, you know, your Jewish neighbors are not doing well. Like they're, you know, someone firebombed a fucking synagogue and you've got a Jewish school in Montreal that has been shot at twice. So there is already fear within the Jewish community who has already experienced hate crimes and anti-Semitism for generations. But then you have Sija who's tasked with fighting this anti-Semitism, making shit up. That's making it worse. That's making it worse. And then it's devalidating all the work that genuinely goes into fighting anti-Semitism to pointing it out within our very own movement because it exists. And, you know, it's not black or white. It's not like, oh, this movement isn't anti-Semitic. It isn't at its core. But that's not to say there aren't anti-Semites within it. But to then conflate these legitimate targets like a prime minister or a Zionist business and say to the Jewish community that you have so much influence over, right, that you're 
they get your newsletter, you're prominent in their eyes, and you tell them that actually all of this means they hate you, knowing that that's not actually what's happening. I can't help but feel that that's inciting the most amount of fear around this. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you're in those rallies, you don't experience, nobody brings the Jewish people into discussion unless they are there asserting themselves as Jews against genocide, for example. Right? Like, I've not heard one speech, I've not heard personally one chant ever that has been directed at Jewish people whatsoever. And in fact, if you showed up to a pro-Palestinian rally with your kippah on, with obvious Jewishness, right, a sign that identifies you as or whatever, you would be so warmly welcomed, you know, if you weren't waving an Israeli flag in their face while they're committing genocide, You know, like that is not an unwelcome space for Jewish people. And anybody from the Jewish organizations that have been part of these actions can tell you that. So I'm very upset with Sija right now. I mean, like these are the same people who were absolutely relentless in their pursuit of Sarah Gemma. Right. Like they focused in on her, but yet tweet out today that the harassment Canadian politicians who support Israel are facing is unacceptable, that that is some sort of violence. They've lost all legitimacy. CJ is one of those organizations that you look at and you're like, oh, yeah, you are operating in absolute bad faith. Like, they know exactly what they're doing, you know. There's no, um, oh, there's been misunderstandings or, you know, like, no, no, they, they're they a propaganda machine. You know, they're... Their goal is to get people behind the Israeli war crimes, occupation, genocide, apartheid of the Palestinians. And, you know, this is something, you know, nothing new under the sun, but this is something you see in wars. And I feel that we're, as the the public, we're not really prepared enough for this kind of propaganda, you know, it, it's something, you know, you see it constantly. You saw how in 9-11 people, after 9-11, people were afraid. And, and how many people use that fear to justify all kinds of horrible things that were really just personal agendas, mainly for capital purposes, right? CJ is weaponizing fear. And there's always people to weaponize fear. And it's it's really hard to like for for the people who they're trying to you know weaponize their fear uh you know it's really hard to make yourself immune to that when you're afraid you know when you actively are afraid when you actively are concerned when you're in these emotionally vulnerable states it's it's really hard to shield yourself from those effects and I find that just the lack of concern over this or, you know, it's it's quite telling of something, right? Because, you know, CJ has no accountability. There's nobody holding them accountable. Just like last few years, people have been screaming about Russian propaganda and Russian interference in Canadian politics. Meanwhile, you have an organization that really like legitimately is a propaganda arm of the Israeli state operating with impunity in Canada. Let me just back that up a little bit. Sorry, let me just back that up a little bit because Dave Gray Donald posted an excellent thread on Twitter that gave the history of CJA 
and how it was started by Heather Reisman. And we're going to go back to Heather because she's the founder of Indigo. So when we talk about a Jewish-owned bookstore, Jesse Brown, you know, says Jewish-owned bookstore, it makes you think like a mom-and-pop shop, right, is vandalized. And in fact, he's talking about Indigo Books. Heather Reisman basically founded Sija in a knee-jerk reaction response to a protest where Netanyahu was unable to speak at an event because students made it so. And they understood that they needed to do a little, a lot more Israeli propaganda here in Canada, that there was a lot of work to do. And so they created Sija. A lot of folks have described it as a hostile takeover of the Canadian Jewish Congress, which was a democratic body, had elections, and was designed to represent the interests of Jewish people in Canada, right? And, and whatever that means. Even in the name itself, the Center for Israeli and Jewish affairs. Canada isn't even in the name. And these, again, these are points that uh, David Gray Donnell brought up in his thread. So yeah, they don't even have, they don't even pretend to represent Canadian interests. They are secretive about their budget, what it is, and where a lot of it comes from. And we do know that they spend tens of millions of dollars alone just in reiterating Israeli propaganda, almost line by line with the ruling party over there. And so Santiago isn't just generalizing. There's there's history there where they have taken what should have been Jewish interests here in Canada and centered it now on Israeli and have intrinsically tied those two together as though they're the one and the same. And we've spent considerable time here on the show talking, especially with Jeremy Appel, on how Judaism and Zionism are not one and the same. And that is the prominent voice now here in Canada when the media or let's say the Toronto District School Board, for example, are looking for prominent voices, authoritarian voices on what anti-Semitism is, these are the people that they're going to. And that's a huge problem. Yeah. And one more thing about like, you know, when I say they're operating bad faith, you know, and I say this as someone, you know, like I'm learning all the journalistic ethics and everything, you know, CJ operates in a way that's very much like with an awareness that the first lie is the one that sticks, you know? They they post knee jerk you know reactionary shit immediately, such as you know the the whole claim of Judah Judah you can't hide you know like they delete it later, but they know that that doesn't really matter, you know it doesn't really matter that they delete it you know they're not somebody who has to respond to elections or accountability of any kind right so. People are still going to remember that and believe that, you know, and there's people who trust this organization, who trust that this organization is looking out for their interests. They're taking advantage of that and they're taking advantage of like the human psychology and, and, and the way or even that, how like, social media works. Right. Like you can see how many people would would share that video and be like, oh, look at this. But how many people are going to share a tweet that it, that mentions that someone deleted a tweet? Right. Like that's not 
as sensational. That is not going to get the same algorithm. Because right now, you know, whenever there's times of wars, people are are, are faced, and, and this happens on mass. Like everyone's faced with like this uncomfortableness because we uh, many of us hold like different levels of humanitarian values and such and then war calls into question all of our values you know and if if you're buying into you know one side or the other or whatever you know buying into the idea of war in general like you're gonna have this rationalization to make right and so you're you're constantly on the prowl for any information to help you soothe that discomfort right so you see something like like this and it's like oh hate oh see 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 that thing see the my, my my concerns are valid you know and and so like it's it's incredibly powerful it's an incredibly effective and powerful thing see that's why i avoid though like i've come across plenty of videos plenty of infographics that show the most horrific actions by israeli soldiers i mean i don't share graphic content pretty much ever because I don't know who's in my feed that's going to be triggered by it. I If I consumed it, that's enough. It's, it's for on other people to decide whether they consume that. But I purposely, purposely try not to share things that enraged me so much. Because you can never really even verify a lot of these videos when they were taken. I am not an expert at identifying soldier uniforms or any of that, right? And so I don't know. And I know that the hate and the rage that it actually generated in me in that moment need not be replicated. That there are enough facts that I know to be true, enough historical context to provide to prove that the Israeli Zionist government is illegitimate, that the occupation is illegal and oppressive. Because by sharing shit like that, you're purposely stoking just pure anger and you're not even directing it, right? It's not like you have a group of people, you're making a speech, you have a call to action at the end and you're like, and see, I need you to know how bad it is so you will act. You are literally just putting it out there and and it's like undirected rage that you don't even know if it's true, right? So when we get into Jesse Brown, I know you kind of mentioned this, sometimes people are just looking for that confirmation bias, right? That... It justifies what they're feeling or perhaps allows them to blanket over some of the stuff that they don't want to look at. And often it serves to center themselves. And, you know, I tweeted when I, I'm talking about Jesse Brown's tweet today, too. He is a Canadian media publisher, Canada Land, a fellow podcaster, I suppose. And he did the very same things that we're talking about Sija. Like, he purposely sent out two tweets that got a lot of traction, and they were complete bullshit. And the first one I'm going to get into is the boycott on Indigo that we hinted at. And he had framed that as an anti-Semitic targeting of a Jewish business. And we've seen Olivia Chow repeat, and a lot of people repeat, these refrains when it comes to actually Zionist business. I mean, we talked about Aroma Cafe on a previous episode, but Intego is a different beast altogether. And Jesse Brown has been in the game long enough to know that Indigo has been a valid boycott target since 2007, since it became apparent that Heather Reisman, the founder, 
not only was at the center of what we talked about earlier in terms of Sija, but she founded Hezek Foundation. That's E-H-E-S-E-G, Foundation for Lone IDF Soldiers. What it is, it's a recruitment program for foreigners to join the IDF that operates on Canadian soil. I hate saying Canadian soil. That's such an awful term. You know what I'm talking about. So that's illegal, really. It's done under the list like guise of a charitable foundation. But you are recruiting for a foreign military service in another country. That is illegal in Canada, but the IDF do it all the time. So it's not a Jewish-owned business. Reisman is Jewish. But that's not what her identity is based on when you look at the work that she's done. It's a Zionist that is what her predominant work has been done. It's about centering Israel and their needs, not as a Jewish-owned business. And so he knows this. Jesse Brown knows this. That is like when we're talking about bad faith actors and arguments, he became one when he printed that. And then, you know, buried in the replies, he's acknowledged that he's gone off base, but he doesn't remove the tweet. You know, like there's just such importance placed on, you know, people's own prominence and place and and centering their feelings that were valid in the moment or whatever his excuse is. But they remain. And for me, that is so problematic because if this isn't a right wing publication, this is considered a left-wing media publication, independent media, things that we have promoted on the show, not Canada Land specifically, but the need for publications like this. And so he's coming out sounding like the rebel. And I don't know, like that, I I got particularly upset with this, especially we always talk about when it comes from within. And he, he does it again. There's a CTV article that he republishes Using their awful headline, and we've seen so many awful headlines these days, you know, like CP24 called the last weekend a Hamas-Israeli rally in Toronto. Like, they, that was their headline. But, you know, Jesse Brown, he repeats this stuff. If you read deep within the article, the police say it was not hate-related. There were no anti-Semitic messages left. And I'm not one to side with the fucking police, but believe me, they would be loving to lay hate crime charges. We've already given examples of them doing that. And if they were presented with no evidence of the country, you know what I mean? And Jesse doesn't even bother to mention this within his description of it. Yeah, I don't even know. It's, uh, it's, it's exactly what we were just talking about, right? And I think that, you know, I don't know. I feel like this story, in a way, has a, a certain emotional connection for a lot of people in the sense of, like, well, maybe maybe this is just, like, a me thing, but Indigo indigo chapters bookstores like that like something like as a kid i really enjoyed spending time in you know i was a bookworm you know being surrounded by like all these books and you know like i used to like go to mall what was the first place i want to go to you know indigo chapters right so like there's a certain like oh fuck really (laughs) to learning that like (laughs) <laughs> you know, the connection. Yeah, that's the face like, my family makes when they find out there's yet another business we have to boycott, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. God. Just make me a list of who we can shop at. But what does that feeling feel like initially? It feels like, I don't want this to be true, so let me make it not true, you know? Like, oh, 
let me find some way to justify this is the first feeling and it's a human thing that we all you know like you don't want it to be true how do i make this not true how do i change this you know it's not that you're narrating that in your head but that's what the feeling is right but I feel like for Jesse, it's not for directed Je- no, yeah. so much as like, oh, we should be allowed to shop at Indigo, like trying to give people permission to shop at Indigo. He's trying to frame all the oh, no, actions I, I, of pro-Palestinian work as as anti-Semitic. He says he's not. Yeah. But, but step Je- by Jesse's step, completely he's doing lost that. It there. Like, I'm more saying about the effectiveness that this has on on the public reading it, you know? reading about this this is something that people are going to be feeling and there's a reason that these like (laughs) these are things that no one seems to think about like in terms of like whenever we're like spreading information it's like we have to like think of like how will these things be perceived how will these things be received you know and that's kind of like what i'm trying to think about here because like i know that like i didn't want it to be true you know i Uh, but but then it's like okay that that's exactly it like Jesse I mean Clint is supposedly a journalist right like you have like a bit of a responsibility here then to like figure out these points you know you have to to, like there there is a responsibility to the public you know because no there was an anti there was not anti-semitism happening there so you spreading this information means that you're, you're spreading misinformation and like you know, like if 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 you like you want to claim you're left, like there are certain like responsibilities here to figure the, the, these things out, and it goes for all of us. You know, it goes for us too. You know, uh, like just just to like create like a, a bit of an example here. If like it's so frustrating that feeling of like oh like there's this horrible oppression happening and nobody seems to be paying attention, and you just want to find a way to get through to people and break through to people. So when horrible things happen, right? When you hear about something horrible, you immediately want to want to spread that everywhere because you want to be like you want to believe like look this will be the thing this will be the thing and people will see how bad it is, right? And so we're prone to if 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 someone was to attempt to use our frustration to spread misinformation i'm sure many of us would be susceptible to it right but that's why we have to be constantly vigilant that's why we have to be making an effort because that that frustration that like it lies in all of us right and so but like if you call yourself a journalist that goes fucking not not even double that goes like five times for you you have a fucking responsibility to make sure that your information you dot your i's cross your t's you know what's going on if there's anti-Semitism happening, you report on it. But if you need to verify these things, right? So it's just really frustrating because, you know, a lot of people, you know, this, this one's hitting a lot of people. You know, a lot of people trusted them. A lot of people, like, really care about, you know, Canada land. And it's like we, we, we've lost enough things, right? Like, there's nothing sacred, you know, like. We don't have many spaces or places that we can turn to that we feel safe for information. And like, it's it's all like it's all leaves us feeling lost and confused and ever. And it, it's fucking frustrating, you know. And I want to be clear because I did send out something that could be perceived as a bit callous. And it was about the way Jesse and others in the media, but also politicians, and even like your friends, are continuing to really want to center the feelings of the Jewish community. And, you know, well-intentioned people will just say, you know, it's, it is a time that you can recognize the grief of all humans or the impacts to many communities. And that isn't wrong. 
I do feel for Jewish comrades. And I can imagine that this is a very traumatic experience in itself. But there's two things there. If you have been supportive of the state of Israel in your time, you should be feeling some discomfort in this moment. You should not fear for your life. You should not fear for your safety. You should not fear for your job. But if if you have been even quietly propping up Zionism and Israel, buying Israeli bonds, and then seeing what this money has done and what this ideology is doing, there is a discomfort that should be experienced. And I shouldn't center the needs of those people feeling that discomfort at this moment. Right? If you have supported the occupier and you are now feeling guilt in any way, that is for you to work through. That is not for me to center while a genocide is being happening, while I'm watching Palestinian voices being almost completely absent from the media. And when they are there, they're cut horribly, like the edits are just horrendous. We were like, there's just in this moment, we're talking about over 11,000 dead Palestinians, a land invasion, an annexation, ethnic cleansing that is happening. It's not being implied in a chant right? Because of how you've been told to perceive from the river to the sea. It's not being implied in a boycott that people don't like Jewish people. It's, it's actually happening right now. So for me, it's important to be centering Palestinian people in this moment. This is a crisis. It is urgent. There is no actual time and space for us to work through that other shit. I'm sorry. And it comes off as really white supremacy to say that, yeah, but, yeah, but what about how Jewish people are feeling right now? And, you know, I'm not completely rejecting whataboutism either, because I've played that. You know, when 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 we were funding Ukraine, I did say, what about Palestine? We were and we were criticized for that. You know, Joe Roberts (laughs) went down in flames famously for saying that the left just absolutely cannot mention Palestine in this moment because that is to legitimize it. But at the same time, like this whataboutism and centering Jewish fear, it's problem because Netanyahu is using that fear to justify what he's doing right now. All of what you're seeing happening in Gaza and the West Bank is being justified out of fear of what might happen. Because you can't take back what Hamas has already done. That's not going to happen. Those people aren't coming back. You likely won't get the hostages back either if you've seen Gaza. This is sold on the premise that it's defense on what might happen next. That fear. So don't take that fucking fear right now as we're trying to stop that genocide and put it in my face because I don't want to see it right now. Okay, because it's been used to just justify so much shit that you don't get to center it right now. You deal with that on your own right now. And we deal with actual cases of anti-Semitism and the absolute rise of Islamophobia. Toronto City Council... You know, they're working on essentially criminalizing Palestinian support. And folks, on on face value, you can read Pasternak's motion and it looks like a real genuine attempt to address anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. However, however, 
pro-Israeli rallies, you know, Christie Pitts, are never labeled as pro-genocide rallies. You may see snide comments here and there on the internet, but no media outlet, no politician is going to point at those rallies and say, those people are supporting the murder of children. Right? They're not doing that. That's not labeled Islamophobia when they raise the Israeli flag. But it is when you raise the Palestinian flag. Many times over, like the Maple has put together a great piece on all the people who've lost their job, been arrested, criminalized, silenced, kicked off boards because simply they are asking for an end to the Gaza bombing or asserting Palestinian humanness. You know, that is actively being sold as a criminal intent, terrorist intent. So when you see motions like this before city council and Olivia Chow looking like she's ready to support it, I believe it passed first reading or, or I believe it passed. I, I, I would need to I'll link it, folks. It, um, yeah, I think I think it did. So it, it's not just an attempt to lessen hate. It is. And if you look at James Pasternak, the person who the counselor who brought this to motion, like he has warned kids to not, not go to school, to not participate in these anti-Israeli rallies. Like he has really whipped people up along the narratives that we've been talking about today. And so he is the author of that motion. You can bet your bottom dollar it is not designed to address Islamophobia whatsoever, that it's strictly there to do this. And so from the media pundits to the political personalities that we thought we could fucking trust, they've almost all let us down. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's what we've just been talking about here. It's just weaponization. And like... It's history repeating itself. That's the, I think that's one of the most frustrating parts about watching everything unfold. It's just like how much it's all just a cycle of history. You know, how many times we've seen such things play out again and again. People want to paint the narrative that like there's something unique and special and complicated and different about this. No, there isn't. We've seen this kind of situation play out time and time again, you know. Like, you know, I, I brought it up before, you know, when I talk about atrocity propaganda, but in justification of the, the Gulf Wars, there was that story of, uh, you know, the, the, the Iraqi soldiers were taking Kuwait babies out of their incubators and leaving them to die, right? That ended up, turned out, was fabricated by a think tank, right? But that got put, spread everywhere and people were afraid and angry and all of these emotions and... And then how many people died because of that fake story, you know? Like, the weaponization here, it's it's horrible because, like, fuck, it's not like, it's not, this is not like a symmetrical situation. All this time, like, even if, like, eventually, you know, Western powers get involved, stop the funding, you know, like, we get the things we're demanding, like, every day that goes by, is unimaginable loss in Palestine, you know? And you can see that they're not, they don't fucking feel that. They don't feel that. And I know, I know that like at some point it does get difficult, you know? Like as these things draw on, it does get fucking difficult to to remind yourself, hey, that this is real, that that what's happening here is is real and devastating and you can't turn away from it because, you know, we only have like... <laughs> Humans have an incredible capacity to to adapt to horrible things. And like a and new so, normal. 
Yeah. So it starts feeling like, oh, this is normal, you know? No, it's not. Do not suppress your humanity. It's not. We need to feel it. We need to feel it and and fucking fight for something better, you know? And you know, actually, you know what? That brings us to the next thing, I guess, which is, you know, there's been all kinds of calls, you know, for a ceasefire. Um ceasefire this, ceasefire that. Hey, not even because Trudeau says, what does he call it? A humanitarian pause. You know, Biden he will almost say the word, said but, ceasefire. Do you have that clip? I feel like we should yeah. just throw it in here, but I could recreate it. It was like cease. Uh, uh, I mean, humanitarian pause. What I meant to say was cease escalation of hostilities. <laughs> like he worked really hard to make sure he did not say the C word. Yeah, they can barely say ceasefire, right? Humanitarian pause, all of these things. But then again, you get a ceasefire. Then what? You still have a genocide. You still have the apartheid. You know, it doesn't change the realities. You know what we're not talking about? We're not talking about actual solutions here. And I think that we need to talk about that because we are a part of the problem. You know, Western nations created this problem. Like we've created so many problems in the Middle East by going and drawing up borders for our own convenience without any consideration. And under the false belief in in ethnostates as something that should be created in any kind of way, like what a ridiculous concept. Right. And so, you know, this week I, I wrote an article, an op-ed for for the Humber paper um, where I was essentially arguing in, in favor of the one state solution of. a. But to be clear, when I say a one state solution, I mean a democratic, secular state with equal rights for all. And I felt I socialist to do would that. just be a bonus. Yeah. No, I mean, the hope is that that would be socialist. But. But the reason I did that was because I was like, you know, like so frustrated because nobody can tell me what happens next. Nobody can tell me what happens the day after the ceasefire. Nobody can. Nobody seems to have any long term solutions. Oh, like there, there's a lot of people calling for like the uh, 1967 borders. Right. But that just felt. Oh, I've seen Wrong. people just like draw a line in the middle. Ta, uh, North end is Israel. We'll make the bottom Palestine. Everyone has from the river to the sea. We're good. We're done. I, I can't help but feel like that is such a Western colonialist solution. The idea that we draw lines on a map and that solves our problems. What the fuck? <laughs> it goes like it goes against like the idea of humanity that like we're. That there's more that brings us in common and together with each other than is apart, you know. Yeah, you see, like Palestinians and 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 Jewish people, anti-Zionist Jews, hand in hand at these protests, and and you're telling me, oh wait, we need to keep everyone separate. I just I just cannot believe such a thing. It it does not make sense, and and part of it is informed by the fact that. You know, I, I, I'm I'm Lebanese and my dad, I've been having a lot of conversations with him that I found really interesting because, you know, as somebody who actually fucking lived through horrible war, um, I get perspectives from him that I'm just not getting elsewhere. Right. Like he he's seen horrible things and he is fighting so like he is arguing so much in favor of like palestinian liberation here even though his family fought against the palestinians right and you know i was talking to him and he was telling me about how in his work 
there's a there's a Jewish man who who looks more like him than anybody who he's ever worked with, right? And because you know he doesn't see a lot of people who look like him. I don't see a lot of people who look like me in my day to day, you know. And how he was thinking, and like how people always compare how they look alike and stuff. And he was like, like yeah, because we're the same people, you know. There's we're not different. Palestinians and 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 Israelis are are, are not different, you know. They're, we're not different. And at the end of the day, the Holy Land, like it's sacred to all the Abrahamic religions, not just Judaism and Islam. Not just also Christianity, that and that, but also many smaller, lesser known religions like the Druze or the Samaritans, you know, like there, this is a land that is important to many people and it should be accessible to all people. And if you create some two state dividing things, then you're just furthering this, this idea of separation. You're furthering this idea that that people are different and that they're enemies of each other and they're, they're separate because they can't live together because they're so fundamentally different. We can't. That's such a racist gather. trope. Yeah. Because they don't we mean can't. Israelis can't live peacefully, right? It's always that it's the Muslim population that is framed as inherently violent or Palestinians in particular. And it ignores history. Horrible things happen. That's history. But people find a way to build again afterwards, right? Lebanon went through decades of civil war. And today in Lebanon, the conflicts are not on sectarian lines. They're based on the corruption of the government in general, you know? But people live together, you know? And, and I'm not going to paint Lebanon as a fucking success story because it's anything but. And, and honestly, and, and one of my big criticisms is, a lot, is the idea of, of putting like, oh, the president has to be Maronite Christian and the prime minister is Sunni and the speaker is Shia or whatever the fuck it is, right? I think that's such a horrible system. I think whenever you try, like some people are, because there's arguments of creating a binational state, right? Where you split the power. Horrible idea. Why? Because whenever you're trying to divide things on sectarian lines, it leads to the rise of authoritarians like Benjamin Netanyahu, the fucking fascist that he is. People like him, they don't just happen. It's the consequences. How is it that, that Israel got to this point? Is a consequence of trying to create a nation state because it's inherently built on the idea of supremacy, which is an authoritarian idea that lends itself to other authoritarian ideas that lends itself to the rise of fascism. We cannot have that. This is not the kind of world that we should be building. So the idea, yeah, just point of it being that like, and and uh, just a, another example, of course, being Bosnia and Herzegovina, where, you know, um, a binational nation, I, I still don't believe in the concept of binational nations either, but, you know, they separate, they have like three presidents of so the like Croatian, a Serbian, and a Bosnian president, but, you know, it's one country. <laughs> Like, anyways, my point being more along the lines of we like when I'm looking at this situation, I'm looking at my values. I wanted to something to reflect it. And I think the idea of having a state where all peoples have equal rights and freedom to practice their religions, where they live together, where, you know, we're not furthering these fucking supremacist ideas because that's what it is these colonialist ideas you're not going to fix colonialism with more colonialism you know 
Oh, there's some people that say at, you can't call what's happening colonialism or imperialism. Like, you know, they th- want to remove that This idea that was framing. literally created by the West. You know, it, this was the brainchild of the UK and... Like, this was literally colonialism, just like the creation of all of the fucking borders in the Middle East were colonialism. Like, it's not just Israel-Palestine, it's every fucking border there. It's most of fucking Africa, you know? I think the more you point that out, the more easier it becomes to understand why Canada has taken this hyper-Israeli defensive position uh, almost to the isolating on the world stage, right? We are really out of step and a lot of people scratch their head and we've talked about the colonial imagination, but, you know, defending this model and not calling it into question or framing it as colonial, you know, is super important to the Canadian state for itself to remain legitimate because Bob Ray, a lot of folks, you know, you got the former UN ambassadors, Canadian ambassadors to the UN, just aghast at our recent voting record in the UN, especially when you put it into context of what's happening right now, that we've actually reversed our position. So much gains had been made in terms of, you know, the Palestinian diaspora and political maneuvering and whatnot that's happened to get Canada to come around a little bit on its position within the UN and on the state of the illegal occupation. But even before uh, this fall's escalation in hostilities, Canada started to really change its tact again. And I watched a really great six-minute video by Breach Media. As always, I'll link that. They do a really good job of explaining the relationship between Canada and Israel. And they talk on the colonial aspect as well. But really, what it boils down to is U.S. interests and aligning with U.S. interests and wanting to appear as like major players on the stage. But just to give a folks how out of step of the rest of the globe that we are, that many states now have recalled U.S. ambassadors or have recalled their Israeli ambassadors. They have cut political ties. They there's motions going to the U.N., very rapidly now to deal with the situation and Canada has either abstained or voted no. And on the most recent one, it was so basic to like, we got into a discussion about the UN and its lack of teeth that a lot of it essentially are just really statements that don't have any tangible repercussions tied to them or anything. But this one here on November 12th, it was really just for Israel, force Israel to fall under the Fourth Geneva Convention, right? It's Israel to accept the fact that they need to apply to those standards, which means if you occupy somewhere, you need to make sure that you don't bomb their fucking hospitals. So you need to make sure that they have medical care. You also, there's, you know, there's all sorts of criteria that are set in the Geneva Convention on how you're supposed to act if you do occupy somewhere, even though you're not supposed to occupy anywhere. So just to speak to the meaningless of this shit. But even Canada, oh, before, another one of the criteria is important to mention there for this convention is that you're not supposed to be transferring your population into the occupied territory meaning you're not supposed to be ethnically cleansing this occupied territory, right? If it's just to secure your own 
borders or whatever justification you've given it, you're not actually supposed to take it. That's annexing it. That is then, yeah, that's ethnic cleansing. Then you're falling into what we're seeing, genocide. Because not only have they been systemically eating away at the West Bank illegally, right? This this is all established illegal by international law, ruled like 2004, something ridiculous. And they just incrementally taking, taking, taking. But now we've actually seen them annex Gaza, right? The complete north of Gaza is like essentially under the control of the Israeli army. They say they were not going to cede security of the area to it. I can't see them doing so. And so even Canada, when asked to just have them at least take on the role of an occupier, the legal framework, Canada's like, no, no. And we voted only with the U.S., Israel, Hungary, and like these three Micro-Asia, Micro-Asia, these three small island nations Pacific Island nations, which, for the record, the colonialism there, no one fucking talks about, but half of the Pacific Islands is still owned by either France, the U.S., or England. Not only that, but they rely on Western nations to, on a lot of aid, and they are completely, these are islands that will soon be underwater. And so they're completely beholden to Western nation support because of climate disaster. (laughs) So it gets even more awful as you look at it, right? So obviously their votes are being leveraged. But these are the these are the actors that Canada is standing with. Santiago, fucking Russia and Ukraine voted together on this. Okay? They voted that, yes, as an occupier, you need to at least follow these rules. Israel, will you at least agree to that? You know, like they won't. They could come together on this, but Canada still stands apart. Like that is fucking horrible. So Bob Ray's really drawn the ire of this, right? He is the focal point. Obviously, he's not making all of the decisions. But like, this is a man whose job, like, if you looked at his feed, you would not know that there's a genocide happening. And he is our ambassador to the UN. He has a role to play here. And someone pointed out, Michael Bookhart uh, made a great point that if you look at his feed and the last time he spoke of Al-Shifa Hospital was to repeat those Israeli claims that there is a Hamas headquarter underneath it. And now we know 15 days after that tweet, that hospital is completely surrounded by Israeli tanks after being bombarded, after being blockaded of water, medicine, and anything possible. This is the hospital that has the 39 babies in incubators. Two have already passed away. I haven't gotten any updates as to their situation because the World Health Organization can no longer really communicate with them there. Side note, what's up with Hungary? Because I noticed that they're frequently a descending voice. here. Like, they're, they're, they're like one of those is like, you'll see a vote like this, like Canada, U.S., Hungary. What's up with Hungary? I don't know. What's one of our on? viewers has to tweet at us and see if they can explain that to us. I, I, this I guess isn't my the geopolitics first time I've noticed isn't on that. point here. I've noticed this a few with a few votes, so I'm just. I'm, uh, but anyways, yeah, no, it's like we even abstained again. from asking for humanitarian truce. So, like you know, Trudeau won't say ceasefire, but and and he says over and over again to our face that yes, he supports humanitarian pause. Like that's as far as we've been able to come along. But when it's time to vote on humanitarian pauses, we we abstain. So those two-faced assholes, they don't even, aren't even doing what they're talking about in the media. Those small concessions that we get them to make in the media still don't don't fall into any fruition. And, And this is why what we're doing here is so important, right? Like, 
when we talk about the West being an active participant, that's what we mean. You know, they're 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 actively not just funding and endorsing like they're they're funding it, they're endorsing it. They're fighting for it on a global stage. You know, we're actively complacent in this, not more than complacent. We're participants. Right. Which is why we need to stand up, which is why we need to keep putting pressure, because what a fucking contrast to what Toronto looks like. You know, like the thousands and thousands of people in the marching in the streets of Toronto. What a fucking contrast to that. It right? is. A, and I think that's a huge miscalculation. Like. The. Between like what their political careers will look like down the road, I believe they're all going to suffer from this. But also, it, the imperialist intent behind this has suffered. The masks are off, and there has never been this kind of support for Palestinian resistance ever. And it wasn't created by the conditions Hamas created. Israel is to be credited for really waking the world up. And our guests last week talked about this when they talk about delegitimizing Israel by sometimes forcing state actors to demonstrate the level of cruelty that they will go to is an unnecessary, sorry, is a necessary step in demonstrating the whole illegitimacy of the occupation and as horrible as that might imagine like and just just like the Israeli citizens that can't be brought back despite the incredible violence that's been visited upon Gaza we won't get those those 11,000 people back plus like they won't come back but they are martyrs because I believe their deaths must have purpose now. They have to. If that's all we can do is give their deaths, because we try to stop it, right? Like every day we try to stop it. We can't. It's not stopping. It's getting worse. So they have to have meaning. They have to. And it's why, like, we need to, we can't stop imagining you know, that better world. And that's why, you know, I, I, one, one thing I, 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 I talked about in my article was the West owes some serious fucking reparations, you know. We need to, like, the, the way I see it, we need to, like, that same money that we're fucking pouring into, like, these endless wars and infinite arms as much as they want. Put that money and go build some fucking infrastructure and build a home, you know, build. Well, you know, fund. I know I gave you that look build. because, yeah. you know, we don't want to rebuild it in the way that Iraq no, was uh, rebuilt. No, not not in the way. I know. Obviously, like, yeah. But but like we need to go and and like people say, oh, the one state's impossible. No, it's not. Not like are you telling me if we were to go and actually facilitate this shit with some financing, it's impossible. No, and that's what we need to do, because we it's our fault. Like it is our fault, and we're so far away from that conversation right now. 
Like, who, what we're seeing here is we're so fucking far away. No one's even, like, the discourse is not even close to being that. But we, this is why, like, we need to be bold in these times. We need to, like, in the face of darkness, we need to imagine, like, what, we need to remind ourselves what it is we're fighting for. What is that better world? And I sound so fucking cheesy when I say shit like that, but, you, you know, do, I, but I it's important. It. Because uh, yeah, like, how do you fight for something if you can't envision it, right? Free Palestine is just a slogan. If when asked, what does that look like, you don't have an answer, right? Then you can fight for people and for justness and all of that and understand that it's still a valid fight. But it takes a different meaning and a different level when you can have that vision. And in the end, you know, that vision has to be determined by the Palestinian people, right? What that rebuilding looks like, what that that nation looks like, needs to center the voices of Palestinian people because they've been completely erased for so long, right? And although there's like clearly so much work to do in terms of bringing politicians around or, you know, whatever that work is going to end up looking like. I am absolutely buoyed by the fact that especially youth are not going to let this go. And I think as awful as everything has been, I believe we are closer to realizing a free Palestine than we ever have been. And nobody wants to have gotten here this way. But all other efforts to bring people out in the way that they've come out, right, and holding the line the way that the diaspora has been begging us to do before this happened, before it escalated to this point, but it didn't. Right? We didn't do enough before it was too late. And, like, we don't have to hold on to that. That's not, like, to, like, sit with guilt. But it is certainly to, like, double def- double our efforts at this point and, and not have, like, that discussion we, heard, we had earlier, Santiago, about not making compromises in those visions. Because socialists are always accused of fighting for a utopia, right? Like... I, Framed as an unachievable utopic vision. But folks can't allow that to happen in this case, right? Because there's been so much compromise and concessions made. And as we go through this, there'll be so many people that want to water down that vision or colonize it. And to like maintain the Palestinian vision of what a free Palestine looks like is so important. That's why I really get upset when people try to shut down from the river to the sea, because it's not about what they think it means. You know, maybe some people have been told that's what it means and so that it scares them, but that's not what it fucking means. But it's been weaponized because of the borders it suggests. Right? An undoing of what has been done. And that is unacceptable to imperialists to go back to a full and recognized Palestinian freedom from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, like they were. Full restitution, right? That is why that is being criminalized, because that can't 
be normalized. That can't be the vision. That, that would be unacceptable to U.S. interests in controlling oil in the region. And that's the bottom line. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.